0: Ladies and gentlemen, hello. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Joe Genie. This is Ambassadors at Large. So today... uh, um, So I guess in in 2017, we're uh, we're sort of doing the podcast like it just started over again. It's like the exact same episode list. So the very first episode of 2017 was... uh, uh, Ethan and Ronnie coming back on the podcast to talk about the presidential election and and U.S. issues. And uh, for this episode, uh, once again, I'm delighted to welcome Chiara uh, Monti back on the podcast to talk about uh, migration issues and integration issues uh, in Europe. Chiara um, works for the uh, European Commission on integration issues, though. Of course, all of the issues that uh, the and views expressed here today are her own. Chiara, um, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Joe. I'm very happy and delighted to be back. Hi, everyone.
0: So um, it's interesting to talk about... migration issues in 2017, because the the issues are just as pertinent as ever. But I feel like the media coverage has changed. It's one thing if you read like, you know, like refugees deeply or whatever, you wouldn't, but, but I feel like coverage of, of the issue, there was like peak media coverage in like 2015 and early 2016. And it, it just kind of it, like the, 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 the publicity isn't there anymore, but the issues remain just as pertinent as ever. Uh, I, I don't know if you feel the same way in terms of uh, the way things are covered.
1: No, I, I completely agree. I think the, um, the perception and of, the let's say, the intensity and the, and the scope and the urgency of the issue has been uh, highly uh, due to the coverage um, and the media attention uh, over the last couple of years. Of course, this is not a new phenomenon. Um, we've been, uh, Europe, but the world in general has been um, witnesses uh, migration for forever. Um, Europe has been receiv- receiving many, many um, waves of, of different groups of, uh, of migrants arriving uh, for different reasons, from different regions, at different times um, oh. of, of its history. Uh, it's also been sending out a lot of migrants. Let's not forget this: uh, that some of uh, of the countries were now the main uh, host countries or destination countries were actually sending countries until a few years ago, and to a certain extent are still um, are still doing that. Of course, different groups now. But it's true that the uh, the tension has been uh, extremely high, uh, as not probably usual, like as didn't happen before. And it's also true now it seems to be a bit more uh, decreasing, let's say, in terms of everyday uh, publicity, at least. But that's when the, our work in terms of integration policies, etc., it's, I think, the hardest because this is the time where it's most needed, especially in the medium and long term. But it's also more difficult to you know, keep the momentum going and keep the willingness of people uh, to invest in this going.
0: So, so let's briefly go over kind of like the state of play today. It, 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 we've still got more than 60 million people displaced worldwide. And, uh, um, in for, for, your, I mean, it's like you say, there have been waves of, of migration through the years. There was the sort of post World War II wave, there was the, uh, the sort of post Cold War wave, and uh, now there's there's um, this wave, and first time asylum seekers in, in Europe increased from 153,000 in 2008 to 1.3 million in 2015, and through the first nine months of 2016, which is I guess the latest we have data for, we uh, we're, we're talking about 900,000 uh, more folks. So it, it's the numbers are remain comparable, um, and, and a lot of these people are coming from Syria and Afghanistan, nearly half. Um, I feel like if there was a, there was a moment, uh, that, that kind of demarcated the, the sort of peak media coverage of, of what was going on, um, from where we are today, it feels like it was the Turkey deal. And after that deal went into effect, it's like, it was almost like, you know, I don't, I don't want to blame the media here. There's you know, there's many stories in the world, and and they tend to sort of go in waves themselves in terms of what they're covering. But it felt like after that, people were, were kind of like, "Well, that's that's this issue solved." So if, if maybe we could sort of like briefly uh, explain how the Turkey deal worked and and what uh, w- what what its results were.
1: The eu Turkey deal that you refer to is this deal that uh, was that started in uh, at the end of March, uh, 2016. And basically was meant to tackle the, the arrivals uh, of people from Turkey to Greece mostly, uh, but uh, to the Greek islands um, and the overall region. So basically, uh, to make it very brief, the, the agreement was that for every uh, Syrian asylum seeker that was reaching Europe Ill- illegally um, and would be sent back to Turkey, that one Syrian that was already in Turkey would be resettled in EU. This is to make it very simple. Uh, there were, um, part of the agreement was also financial aid from the EU to Turkey, uh, reopening some of the discussions uh, related to the Turkey EU memberships, uh, membership and, uh, and also, uh, let's say, um, less tight um, visa restrictions for for Turkish nationals um, in terms of accessing uh, the Schengen area, etc., etc. So, and basically, yeah, the key thing was that all the migrants or asylum seekers crossing irregularly from Turkey to Greece after the twenty, uh, the twentieth March would be sent back to Greece. Uh, of course, these. So this whole thing created a lot of issues. Was um, highly criticized by many NGOs, civil society, and and not only. Um, and uh, and basically, because there are some concerns and some criticism about how you know when we talk about numbers of like thousands of people arriving, how can you actually make sure that this, you know this is done on a case by case. Um, You know, uh, instance like looking really at each individually assessing every case, uh, making sure that this is done in the respect of um, civil, like uh, of of, of human rights, etc. So this was really, you know, was there was a big discussion here uh, about this deal. Nevertheless, it has. We we have to admit that since then the arrivals has been decreasing. Like considerably especially in that, in that region of course there was as always happened uh, as always happens in um, when we look at arrivals in Europe as soon as you start uh, reinforcing border control or you know um, or return in a certain area uh, you will have the, 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 all the flows are basically almost instantly moved to a different area so it's not that the issue stops, it's that it's somehow shift, uh, shifted. So if you look, for example, at the arrivals through Italy over the last few months, since March, you'd see a slight increase in the arrivals uh, through Italy and other regions and a decrease from from the the Greek uh, region. Uh, it's also di- it's also different. Uh, we have also, to be honest, like the... Um, the people arriving through Italy are typically a different type of uh, flows because less of them will be actually able to apply and, and receive asylum in the EU from in terms of nationalities, etc. But nevertheless, the, the, there was an increase uh, in, the, in the flows in the arrivals uh, through Italy and a decrease in the arrivals from Greece. So it's true. To a certain extent, some people are for this reason are saying that the EU-Turkey the deal has been effective and I think that's also one of the reasons why we've been seeing less and less coverage uh, on the media uh, on, on this.
0: Yeah, I feel like the the, the kind of the, the it raises. I mean, it seems like like an attempt to kind of gain a measure of, of control over the the process, and uh, in, in particular to, to emphasize that that migration should happen in a sort of legalized and and organized kind of way. Uh, there's sort of two issues, and I guess we'll take them both in turn, which one can sort of reductively think of as, you know, the guests and the hosts. Um, and, and a lot of your work focuses on issues of integration, which is the, the sort of, you know, the arrivals and and finding people um, jobs and lives in in new countries. So let's let's start by talking about that a little bit, and and uh, some of the most important aspects of you know when a when when someone arrives from Syria or Afghanistan and they've you know they've often spent almost all you know they they may or may not have family in 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 the EU already but they've often spent you know much of their savings or you know whatever they have in order to to make this journey um, what um, what are some some of the most important aspects of of, of uh, getting people settled and and getting them off on the right foot if it were
1: well, uh, what you're describing is, is uh, you know, sounds like a simple uh, thing to think to do, but it's actually, of course, is like a, a long-term process. Uh, you have the first month, uh, the reception phase, let's say, that is, uh, of course, a more uh, emergency-driven or like short-term uh, measure type of uh, type of actions required, and then you have the longer term, which is uh, the inclusion and the integration of those who are. Uh, who, who get the the who get granted a status that allow them to stay. Um, so let's say that the first phase is like in in the EU you have a system, a uh, common asylum system, um, that regulates um, how these arrivals uh, should be treated and and uh, how the procedures for determining asylum applications and so on and so forth have to be addressed. So. Um, Basically, the main thing is the Dublin regulation that uh, says that you are supposed to um, file your application for asylum in the first country of entry in the EU, which has been creating a lot of issues in the past because, of course, there are not that many countries uh, where you can enter first. Uh, This was, for example, the issue with Italy and Greece in the past few years, Um, and and this was basically an issue of solidarity within the between the EU member states of let's say burden sharing even if I don't really like the expression but um, that's a bit what is used and also how to ensure that this is actually these procedures are actually um, you know uh, taken undertaken in, in the different countries of arrivals because for example there were a lot of issues. With Italy, which is one of the countries that I know better, um, because, for example, they would let, like, a lot of people go through Italy without ever, without being fingerprinted or without being registered and then reach other places, or they would be uh, fingerprinted in Italy but then disappear a bit in the system, the same for other regions, and then they would be found a few months after, a few years after in Germany, Sweden, or elsewhere. Yeah, I was, so,
0: I was reading. It's, this fascinated me. The, I mean, because Italy and, and and Greece, just because of of where they lie geographically, uh, that's where a lot of people are arriving, especially now. that the, you know the Balkan route is is has been sort of like closed off by. Border fences, but eighty three percent of all non EU born migrants between the ages of fifteen and sixty four years are in Germany, the UK, France, Italy, and Spain, and that and and Sweden has taken a lot as well. And so it's it's really this sharp geographic divide between where people are arriving and where they're ultimately trying to get to.
1: Yeah, of course, we also have to remember, you know, uh, what like the people, most of the people who arrived over the past few years. Uh, from Syria or Afghanistan etc they are asylum seekers most of them will be uh, getting asylum or other um, protection uh, statuses um, that will allow them to stay in Europe but of course in some some of them are uh, are not let's say asylum seekers in the strict um, in the strict term some are also uh, you know, what in some sometimes is called like economic migrant or voluntary migrant, so people who are uh, or choosing to leave and they don't have the, they're they're not forced to leave by other uh, other uh, context. So when you look at the at the figures, you also have to always keep in mind, you know, what group you are talking about, and and of course you also have the the group of family migrants, which is actually the bigger one in Europe at the moment, which is the. Um, it's the all the people who are joining other uh, migrants um, or refugees through the family reunification channel. So it's really also fascinating to see, you know, uh, what are the main the biggest groups in what countries, etc. And if you look at the, but what if we look, you know, the recent arrivals of asylum seekers and refugees? You're right. Most of them uh, were actually that's the other fascinating thing is like the The distribution is like if you look at the overall number, which, as we said, is around more than two million since uh, 20, between 2015 and 2016, it's a really it's a really uh, relatively small number in comparison of the whole uh, EU population, which is over 500 uh, million. So we're talking about 0.4 uh, percent of the of the people uh, in the EU, and only 0.15 percent. Of when we consider positive first-instance asylum decisions, so those were actually granted protection to stay. Um, but what is really uh, complicated, what makes it even more complicated, is the distribution of asylum seekers across the EU, which is not uniform. So you'd have over the last few years, for example, you'd have Germany and Sweden as the f- big, the, the way the countries, the, the, let's say, the biggest uh, destination countries. Um, You have uh, also Hungary, for example, was received a lot uh, of of asylum seekers, but of course, when you look at then at the number of of first um, instance applications and decisions, you see that Hungary was mostly a transit country. Not many people actually stayed. And Italy and Greece is also very interesting because Italy, for example, went from being a transit country for most people. And now it's becoming more and more a destination country also because of the, you know, uh, the, some of the internal borders of the EU have been closed, have been, uh, there have been more uh, control over the, the, the borders, etc. So it's, um, it's been more difficult also for people, you know, to, to move from one country to another, which is what is called secondary movement. Um, But it's true, but indeed Italy and Greece have remained for their geographical position one of the biggest entry points over the last few years to the extent that in uh, uh, 2015 there was uh, a decision in the context of the new agenda for migration which the Commission proposed. There was a, a proposal from the Commission to establish relocation and resettlement schemes Relocation was that some uh, people that were already uh, arrived, that arrived in Italy or in Greece would be relocated to another member state. Um, and resettlement would be that uh, people who are in a third country, so typically the neighbor neighboring countries of Syria, would be reloc- would be resettled directly from a third country to a, an EU country. This was really, uh, was deemed very controversial by the, the council in particular, so many member states fought very hard this, this proposal, and the proposal passed with some numbers of like, of people that were supposed to be relocated and resettled within 2017, but it's true that uh, especially the first year, this relocation scheme, uh, and especially the relocation scheme, but also the resettlement scheme, they went on quite slowly. We've seen an increase in the in the in the late, latest months, but overall was not very. let say started with a lot of uh, a lot of issues. So, so and this was an attempt. Sorry, and this was an attempt to rebalance. Let's say this Dublin rule and uh, uh, redistribute a, a bit the, the the burden. Let's say across across the EU. But what happened in? Uh, last year in, uh, in uh, between August and September was that some of some member states open like Germany opened their their borders let's say saying um, forget the Dublin regulation you can just come here and you can just apply in our country even if this is not the first entry point.
0: And uh, now Germany's kind of wa- my understanding is they've, they've sort of walked that back a little bit but are you know are still taking a large number of people but there are you know of course there are some uh eu countries that that are are not uh, not enthusiastic hungary, hungary comes to mind um as far as the the integration of folks once they arrive in the country that they're ultimately going to arrive in uh that they're ultimately <laughs> going to stay in uh i was reading the uh, the 2016 employments and social developments in europe report and it kept hammering uh language as as <laughs> A really important <laughs> yeah. piece of this. Uh, th- being able to have language skills, being able to have, uh, having some kind of education background, and ultimately, uh, for those who, who, I mean, this isn't applying to most Syrian refugees because it, it's not, you know, we haven't gotten there yet, but uh, 10 years or more of residency and, and ultimately acquiring citizenship, uh, those were the three things that seemed to improve outcomes the most in terms of, of being, able, and, and also finding a job early on um Uh, those seem to be the things that really kind of uh, were determinants in in people's success in in, uh, landing on their feet.
1: Correct. Absolutely. Um, So let's imagine a bit, um, you know, when you arrive, you're an asylum seeker, you've made it through a long journey, really dangerous, uh, really, you know, Traumatizing. And, and you arrive finally to a country in Europe. What happens is that you have a set of, uh, that you have, there is a legislation that basically determines your rights as an asylum seeker. So you arrive, you have to file for your asylum requests. There are specific uh, provisions if you're a, an, an accompanied minor, so if you're traveling by yourself. And over the last two years, we've seen, for example, a huge increase in an in, in, in accompanied minors among asylum seekers. So there are special provisions for them. Uh, The member state has to uh, provide you with with accommodation, they have to provide you with some services, etc. while your application is is filed and and determined. And you have to bear in mind that in many countries, unfortunately, the application procedure, uh, like the, the, the analysis of the application procedure takes months. Uh, even years in some cases we, part of the, the, the effort of the EU has been really to cut as much as possible this uh, help the member states cutting as much as possible this this uh, waiting time but still especially, especially in situations where you have so many people arriving at the same time of course this is physiological that you will have a longer waiting period once you're, um, let's say you are one of the lucky ones to get the status, uh, which could be a status of refugee, uh, so according to the Geneva Convention, or it could be a subsidiary protection status, which is basically you're fleeing a country, uh, you're fleeing a situation that is dangerous, uh, you don't feel, let's say, all you don't check all the boxes of the Geneva Convention, um, let's say, to, to determine the refugee status, but nevertheless, you can be sent back because there's a uh, reasonable, um, you know, idea that you will be, fear, like you will be facing uh, violence and possibly death again, etc. So uh, you receive a subsidiary protection, which is slightly—it's like, for example, it's a le- uh, it's a shorter duration as the refugee status, etc. Um, or you can get a humanitarian status, which could be different. Uh, this can be different by country, from country to country. Nevertheless, let's say that they're, they're all these statuses grant you the possibility of staying in the EU uh, for a certain number of years or an unlimited number of years for refugees in some, in some countries. Um, and, uh, and this, of course, comes with certain rights. The first one, for example, is... Yeah, you, you know, you you can uh, you, then you can as, access a lot of services that can help you finding a job. Um, you can, you know, like uh, like you have um, ha- full access to healthcare systems, etc. Um, when it comes to finding a job, you have uh, also as an asylum seeker, you can already access labor market maximum after nine months. Uh, since you filed your application um, for asylum. In many member states, is less. It can be three months, for example, in, in uh, Austria. Um, it's, it can be zero days, you know, Sweden, for example, as soon as you file the application, you can get started. The same applies in Greece, for example, you can also, uh, in theory, start working since from the very day, first day you apply for, the, for asylum. Of course, what is interesting is that um, it depends a lot. I mean, the, the the these rights on paper may not necessarily be reflected in, in practice. So it really depends on like the limitations that you have in the labor market uh, in uh, or the situation of the labor market, the type of support you may get, etc. So what what we are really working on, for example, with my my colleagues, is to make sure that. Um, Member states are granting effective access to the labor market to asylum seekers and to refugees. But so let's say you, you got your status as a, as a refugee, um, then you can access the labor market, you're, you can have all these full rights. What is important, of course, you have to imagine these people have been uh, through, like you can't just expect these people to start working uh, in a new country where they don't know. Maybe the language where they don't know the rules of the labor market, they don't know a series of, they don't know anyone maybe, they don't have a big network. They might not, they might be by themselves, their families might have died through the journey or they might be somewhere they have no idea where uh, or they might be still waiting for them in a different country, etc. You might have uh, been through violence, Um, you're traumatized uh, psychologically or physically. So there's Let's say when when we talk about integration, we have really to take into account all these dimensions. So integration has to be a process, has to be approached in a cross-cutting way. You have to really consider: okay, I have to make sure that this person uh, can—it's you know—is receiving has been his health, physical and mental health uh, has been assessed. If needed, is receiving support. Um, If a child is able to go to, you know, to school, if um, an adult adult is, uh, we are, you know, we are assessing his skills or her skills, we're making sure that, um, you know, they can be brought into a path that brings them to be included in the society into the labor market, they have a house. They have full access to the services that are at their disposals, et cetera. So you really have to consider that this cannot be solved with one of these actions, but it really has to be taken, like, has to be from all these dimensions. Um, and that's why, for example, some of the results that you you refer to from the SD, um, you know, they really highlight a few key factors from the ESDE, one thing that I wanted to highlight is that the ESDE, this, this chapter from this report that you mentioned, is based on data from, uh, of refugees, of performance of refugees who arrived before 2015, because these were the data that we had available, um, with a very rich data set that just came out, we were kind of lucky in this sense, um, that uh, is published every other every eight years, I guess, by Eurostat. Um, which is the Statistical Institute for for the EU, Uh, and which gives you all the information by reason of migration, which was great because then we could really see um, the performance into the labor market and society of refugees compared to uh, those who came for work, those who came for study reasons, those who came for uh, family reunification, etc., and and what came? So what was the picture of you know? And of course, one can say, okay, this is not reflecting uh, the situation of those who arrived now. It's true; they they might also be slightly different groups. Nevertheless, it's of course it's the best estimate we we have now about what could be the trend. And sorry, and what is the picture of how is the situation at the moment? And as you can and as you said, it's like the picture is quite like we had uh in the EU, on average you have between 15 and 20 years for a refugee to get to the same employment rate as as natives you have you know a lot of issues in terms of um getting your skills and qualification recognized and getting to a, a job that is not for which you're not overqualified and so on and so forth so you have higher um poverty rates um you have higher possibility of dropping out of school if, you are, if you're a minor and so on and so forth. So um, what the, the chapter was really highlighting was, first of all, language, importance of language, try to get training as early, as, like, to provide training as early as possible, possibly already when they are asylum seekers, even if some of them may not end up staying, but if you have the resources, try to start as early as possible. Um, try to combine language learning with um, the training, professional training. So there are a lot of programs now that will combine, let's say, this type of um, on-the-job training and, and similar measures.
0: One thing that really struck me in, in, in all of that was how you're, you're trying to find, basically, trying to help people land on their feet in different countries and we don't even have the the i mean we have numbers from previous years but like you know in 2015 there was an estimated nearly a hundred thousand uh, asylum seekers who were children which is a shocking number and it just sort of shows the scale of uh, the scale of the crisis that we're facing so like in syria for example you're talking about uh half of the country is basically displaced you've got eleven or 12 million people displaced eight million of them were displaced internally three million of them are displaced uh, into neighboring countries mostly um, or, or, or thereabouts the numbers change and, and a lot of times people aren't really sure how many there are but you know Turkey and, and Lebanon and, and Jordan and then you know another mil, uh, million or so come come on uh, to to Europe and, and other places but a uh, hundred thousand uh children migrating uh, you know unaccompanied in 2015 and for 2016 uh, probably almost as many but we don't even have official figures yet and yet at the same time despite the lack of, of of data these people are all people and they have to be actually you know they have to be settled reunited with families if that's possible um, and and uh, it's it's just the scale of, of of what's going on is 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 just the, the, it's just it's staggering
1: absolutely it's uh, it's also you know when you think about these huge numbers it's also easy to forget these are individuals uh, who have, might have their own stories and and therefore for example you know I got really hungry when um, angry sorry when I get when I hear, uh, people saying you know but they are here they're not that poor if they're riding with their smartphones etc forgetting that for example you know some of these people have been separated months before from their families and they the, the smartphone is the only way for them to be in touch and knowing and know that they you know their families are still alive or is the best first tool for them to find information about the, the country where they're arriving find you know, there are many apps now, for example, that have been developed for um, refugees and asylum seekers, especially to help them in the first few months of of a, of a life in a new country. So it's all you know. We tend to forget what would be life for us arriving after being through I don't know war and and long and very difficult journey into a new country where we don't know anyone uh we don't know the language so it's very difficult for us to communicate with everyone around us we don't know maybe the the rules the the values etc so we may feel a bit lost and and uh, we we have we don't know what happened to our family and and then you know it's like everybody expects you to be to be ready to to work or to be ready to to have a normal life again or 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 you know it's I don't know. I think we tend to forget sometimes that each these big behind these big numbers, there are really individuals, and we should really try to put ourselves a bit more into um, their shoes.
0: And that kind of leads me to the 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 second aspect, you know, the the the, the sort of guest host um, uh, dynamic. Um, the in, in some ways, it's it's a delicate subject, but in in some ways, I'm I'm I, I I'm. Uh, I'm as, at least as as concerned about basically the when you're talking about integration issues, basically the willingness of of the host population to uh, accept newcomers into their country. And I think we've seen this with I mean, uh, it, the, the, it's it's this paradox where on the one hand, you know. Germany to to take one example has put forth this this herculean effort to to take in, in an enormous number uh, of uh, of refugees uh but at the same time in 2016 there were there were 10 ta- attacks a day on on migrant centers or migrants uh recorded it was over 3500 such attacks and so there's clearly there's clearly like a segment of the population where there's a backlash and uh, I I think um as well, you, you sort of see this in electoral politics, the the rise of um, of uh, various uh, populist leaders and the popularity of folks like Marine Le Pen and and Geert Wilders and and the you know the the alternative for for Deutschland. Um, what what is one to make of the the sort of political situation and and the uh, and, and the, the the state of play in in, in regard to that today?
1: Well, this is the elephant in the room. Now, I mean, this is really difficult to um, to address. It's so complex. Of course, I think first of all that uh, the fear of whoever is different has been it's been always there. Uh, it's ne- it's nothing new. Um, the the difficult of accepting uh, someone who doesn't you don't think shares your values or you don't understand them. I don't know. It's Of course, it's it's scary. Can be scary for people. And And also, I I,
0: I should mention, there's nothing inherently European about this. I mean, I'm you know, I'm I'm, here in the United States. uh, We. You know, we have much the same, much the same issue, and, and I mean, you can even, I mean, uh, you can you can see it in places as far afield as you know. Um, there were sort of anti-immigrant uh, riots in South Africa. There's there's been an attempt to send Afghan refugees home from from Pakistan. So it's it's it, it happens almost, and you know, and especially since these are sort of. Um, when they arrive, they're very vulnerable populations and, and, you know, and they're different, you know, they come from different places. And and uh, there, there's almost always this, the, there's this sort of um, immediate kind of reflexive backlash that has to be sort of uh, overcome in, in the course of the process.
1: Of course. No, no, absolutely. Well, so what I was saying is like, you know, this is human nature. And I think... Um, some political movements and parties will exploit this. some governments will exploit this because some governments have been saying you know we are gonna of course we, we will welcome refugees but we will welcome only Christian Christians once or you know we, we don't want Muslims etc so it's really trying to reconnect to the whole idea of identity and and uh, which is such a complex issue and goes beyond you know nationality, religious etc but it's it. It's um. This is very difficult to kind of pinpoint. You know what is the what are the different drivers? What are the solutions? Who are the the bad guys? Who are the good guys? Etc. Um, what is clear is that this is you know. In there has been a rise in populism, which is also connected to a more um, xenophobic, racist um, language and behavior. There has been attacks, etc which one could say, okay, it's been, you know, uh, triggered by the rivals, has been triggered by um, some, uh, you know, some happy some episodes, some things that might have happened. Uh, but, of course, it's, it cannot be that simple. Um, what is, you know, what is uh, obvious is that there are backlashes, there have been backlashes. Um, there is a whole... Um, like migration now is an issue that as is one of the top issues always mentioned, or more or less in every EU country, when you do surveys, etc. Um, and is it can be the one one of the one or two that can determine the, the I don't know, the outcome of an election or and so on and so forth. So people are clearly um you know they they see this as an issue they see this as a challenge i think some par- some parties some movements are clearly exploiting this some media as well of course uh they have a huge responsibility um on the other hand you have movements or parties or, or leaders who try to kind of win the arguments with very cold statistical evidence etc you know for example we always say well but when you look on, on overall at uh, the net impact of migrants and migration in the eu you can see for example from a fiscal point is positive slightly positive or neutral etc yes these it's a very abstract concept it can, it's true when you look at the numbers but it's very abstract doesn't give you any um, Anything concrete, and what you con- what you see concretely is, I don't know you are in a small village somewhere in in Europe, and out of the blue you see 10, 15, ten, fifteen, twenty, hundreds people who are you you see that are not belonging to your community, or you perceive them as not belonging, who appear from nowhere. And so I think what is the, the mistake in, that has been done by the by some institutions, by some uh, parties, etc., is kind of to dismiss. These fears and these uh, language and populist, you know, uh, attitude of some people as like, oh, but they don't get it, they don't understand, they they are, I don't know, ignorant, they don't see, you know, the bigger picture, etc. They should instead, I think, really spend time trying to get to um, listen to the people, listen to what are the fears behind, and try to address them. Um, so you have tons of exp- like very positive. Practices and experiences that are happening across the EU. We're trying, with you know, as the as Commission, we're really trying to promote this. Um, but of course, these are some cases uh, for all of these, and then rarely they get any publicity uh, on the media uh, or on the in the public debate in general. And it's much easier to highlight the negative aspects, um, the challenges. It's also very easy and sells a lot and very well, you know, the kind of like putting together the issue of immigration and the issue of security, in particular now with all the terrorist attacks, etc., that have been um, happening throughout Europe and not only Europe. So it's, you know, it's uh, we all have responsibilities, let's say, uh, what we are trying to promote is the idea of, yes, integration is costly, uh, has, a lot of, like, you know, has a lot of challenges and costs in the short term. The longer term cost of not integrating those who have arrived now will be much higher in terms of social cohesion, um, you know, economic prosperity, etc. in the future than the costs you'd have to face now. But it's not just that. It's also that all the practices, all the efforts, all the investment that has been done over the last few months in all the member states, in terms to try to address some of the challenges related to um, inter- integrating those who are arriving now from third countries, can be beneficial and can be lesson learned for other groups, other, you know. Um, EU citizens, etc., who are in our in Europe, in in our societies and labor markets, and it's also, I mean, to be very honest, it's like we we should start thinking. Uh, but we, this is, of course, is a more rational thinking that integration can be and migration can be uh, an opportunity for a continent like Europe, where you know the working force is shrinking, uh, population is aging. We might not have the skills who are. Who, that we need, etc. Of course, you know, you can't expect that those who are arriving now, as we said earlier, will be able to from day one start working, filling the gaps in the labor market and, and, and demographic, you know, um, structure that you needed. This has to happen with some support, with some help. Um, but you have to see the the bigger picture you have to see the positive uh, opportunity in order to decide to make this investment i will give you just one uh, small example just because i found it very cute and and uh, and very interesting when i uh when i was at a conference a few a few w- months ago and i heard this it was like uh, it was a finnish lady from the finnish employment sur- uh, no from the finnish ministry ministry i think and she said you know we have been doing a survey of the um, of the um, of those who have arrived over the past few months, etc., and we and uh, and one of the things we ask them is what was their occupation before they arrived, and they have to basically typically check some boxes or like uh, select from a drop down menu um, of occupations and sectors. And this guy put uh, logistics, transport, and and then you know in a in a in a follow up interview. Uh, they were like, okay, so exactly what was your job, etc. And he was, uh, he was riding donkeys. He was transporting things, riding donkeys, um, in, uh, you know, in his hometown. town. And, and of course it's like from, from, if you think about it, it's like, it, it was very correct. This was the answer, you know, transfer logistics, yep. etc. But of course you can think that before having him able to use his skills and, and, uh, and, uh, and 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 go back to an occupation in tram, transports and logistics in Finland, you probably will need to update the skills or you know make it more relevant to to the <laughs> to the local uh, environment. So it's you know it's, it's this is, for me is a very sweet and, and, and uh, funny example, but it's um, and and of course it's a bit of an extreme, but it's true in some cases they will need some investment, but this investment has a lot of potential in terms of what they can give back to the society. And of course, you can't just assume that, you know, they, like, the integration has to be a two-way process. So they will also have to make an effort to try to understand the culture, trying to understand how to better integrate, etc. Uh, but, you know, this has to be, this can will never happen if you don't give them the impression that they're interested, that you want them to, to, to do this.
0: That's that's a really great point to end on because I mean from a from a from a just a clinical analytical uh, way to look at it, it's it's clear that that migration is is not just I mean and it's it's like you said about about your your, your issues with the term burden sharing. Um, they're not they're not a burden actually they're, they 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 it's an it's an investment in the future especially for a country you know especially for countries in Europe that are that are aging rapidly and that are facing looming social security crises um, uh, from a demographic perspective from an economic perspective from a social safety net perspective uh, it's it's good to have new most you know mostly younger people uh, coming into the country but uh, there are all of these other Issues that uh, that have to be dealt with, and so, like you say, integration is a two way street. Uh, Kara, I want to thank you once again for coming on the podcast. And uh, um, where uh, where can if our uh, if our listeners want to find out more uh, about this issue, where can they go?
1: So, uh, first of all, thank you, Joe. It's always a pleasure and it's always very fun uh, to, to discuss these things with you. Um, well, uh, I will just do a bit of publicity. Uh, if you look at the uh, European Commission websites, we have loads of information. Uh, you can go for very specific information on integration issues, we have the European website for integration. Um, where you can find a lot of information from, like statistics, publications, uh, funds. If you are an NGO or you know some or a member state or whoever wants to apply for funds from the EU um, to uh, strengthen integration efforts in in the UN neighboring countries, in certain cases you can find um, practices, etc. And comp- like. Complementary to this, we also have a brand new web page that we created uh, as Digital Employment, that is uh, the director general where I work within the commission. Um, we have a brand new page which is uh, dedicated to social and labor market integration of refugees. You can just uh, you know, look for this on uh, Google this and uh, Digital Employment and then you will find tons of information there. Including this famous as uh, the report that we quoted so many times. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is it is quite the report. Um, uh, so yeah, once a, once again, thank you for coming on the podcast. As for the podcast itself, you can find it on uh, in the iTunes Store by searching for Ambassadors at Large. You can download it for free. You can also find it on Stitcher and other places where podcasts are downloaded from. Uh, and you can find it on my website at JoeGenie com. That's J O E G E N I dot com slash podcast there's also a blog there's research papers there's all kinds of cool stuff uh there's my music if you are interested in my music it's a which is really cool thank you very much (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but yes um you can find the podcast there or or in itunes or any other place that podcasts are downloaded thank you so much for listening and we'll be back with another episode real soon until then so long
1: bye